the first Wednesday of 2017. Good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Who's had an eventful week? Anybody? Anybody had a crazy week? Anybody want to fast forward to Sunday? You tired of this week? Want a new one? Want to do a do-over? Try it again? Regardless of how your week's been, it can get better. Um, it can get better. Um, <laughs> what time is it? I got plenty of time. Tonight, uh, we're, we're on Sunday, we're going, uh, as Pastor Andrew said on Sunday, we're going into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I was talking to somebody last night, I think it was last night, and um, I'm like, I, hate, I just hate fasting. I do. It's one of my least favorite things in the world to do. Uh, it's probably one of the best things in the world for me, uh, one of my least favorite to do. And on Sunday, I want to just let you know that on Sunday, we're going to launch that, kick that off. And I, on Sunday, I'm going to go in depth into why we do that and what it's for and how we do that. And when we leave on Sunday, we'll know exactly what's going on. We'll know exactly how we can get involved and why we are getting involved and what the purpose of the whole thing is. So this Sunday, I told, who I forgot who I was talking to, but I'm like, I'm going to eat like a fool this week. Because then, yeah, anyway, I'm not really, but the thought did cross my mind. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, so Sunday we're kicking off 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Be here, uh, be involved in, in what God is doing in our, in our church, in our community. And most of all, you need this in your life, right? You need this in your life. Tonight we're going to talk about what are you looking for. Um, we, we look for different things. In, different individuals look for different things. Uh, for some people, it's just about what, what they can get. And what is in a situation for them? Some people just simply look for acceptance or approval. Do you know anybody who just seeks a people's approval to the point where it hurts them, where it's detrimental to them? And they just want people to be happy with them, right? They want people to smile and say they want the stamp of approval. Some people are just looking for love or companionship. Uh, some people's existence is about searching for God, and that's a good thing. And other people just want stuff, right? They just want stuff around them. They like their stuff. Um, you might say that our life is constantly a search for more because I don't think any of us in this room, really, if you, if you analyze the way you think and you analyze what you do, none of us are content enough in our life where we are right now in this moment to stop. And let's just freeze frame right here and not progress any further. We, we pro- I mean, you might, you know, you might think you're there and you, you might think that you'd like to stop. But most of us would not want to stop and say, let's just stop right here. What you're looking for dictates what you do. A gold miner operates differently than a wheat farmer. Right? One is looking for gold and one is, is hoping to harvest wheat. So they operate differently. What we're looking for dictates what we do, but it also dictates who we are. What we pursue dictates who we are. This passage in, in Mark is just, just pulling it out of, of, of this. And I love the way Jesus addresses this in Mark 10. This, this guy's throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? That's quite a question. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus Along the road. Now, think about it for a second. We've always, you know, who's played the game? If I had a genie and had three wishes, what would I wish for? 
right? A million wishes, right? <laughs> Think about you have Jesus Christ walking the earth, God in flesh, and he, he, you run up to him and he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? Who can think of something right now that you would ask Jesus for right now? If he was standing right where I am, you know something right now you'd ask him for. I'm seeing some nods and some, some not nodding. But we stuff pops into our head. Now, now ask yourself this question. Was it something like a car or a bigger TV or clothes or, or a million dollars? I always say that. A, a million dollars or five million or ten million or a hundred million dollars in the bank. What, what, what would you ask Jesus for and who would be the beneficiary of what you would ask him for? Ask yourself those questions. The blind man was looking for healing, and Jesus was giving it, and this dude's enthusiasm. Like, he just hopped up, threw his cloak off, and Jesus was like, what can I do for you? And it led to his healing. What are we looking for? What are we looking for out of this God thing? What are we looking for out of our relationship with Jesus Christ? What, why are we doing what we're doing? Because if you're a follower of Jesus and you're really de- and you're really devoted and you're you're giving your life to this to this thing, it's it's inconvenient at times. It puts you out, right? You have there's some things in your life that you change. So why are we doing this and what are we looking for? I'm going to cover two areas tonight of of what we're looking for. The, the first one is God, which I'm going I'm to talk about second. But the first thing I want to talk about is is us. Is our stuff, our our wants and our comforts and our needs. And what we're looking for sometimes is just simply us. Things to benefit ourselves. The search for God is the single, the single most search that we will ever do in our lives. Because none of you in here control my destiny or my eternity. Nothing I could ever have or possess controls my destiny or my eternity. God himself controls that. So my search for him is the most important thing that I will ever do. Do you agree with that? But our search for stuff and our quest for who we are and who we desire to be has a huge impact on who we are. And sometimes that can run in conjunction with and sometimes it can oppose God's will for our life. So I'm hoping by the end of tonight going into Sunday we can get some things aligned in our life and we can really get down to what we're doing and what we're looking for and go in that direction. So that's that's why we're here tonight. Um, When we dig deep within ourselves... I've said this before. When we dig deep in who we are, we find out we're really pretty shallow. You may, you may want to think that you're a deep person and you have the, the, the deepest thoughts deeper than the Grand Canyon or the ocean or, or you, that you have, you're enlightened. We're really pretty shallow. Whatever your hot button is, you'd like to have it. Correct? If you like to sew, I don't know anybody that really likes to sew, so I'm just going to use this as, as an example. If you like to sew, if you're really passionate about sewing, you're going to have a room in your house that has a sewing machine set up. And you're going to have thimbles and pins and, and yarn and thread and needles and all kinds of crazy stuff that most of us wouldn't even know what it was if we saw it. My mom used to have some thimbles around the house and I would put stuff in them and drink it. I'm like, what are these for, Mom? Not what you're doing with them. If you like scrapbooking or decoupaging, as I call it, I know Laura's got a whole room of stuff. It's like a room of decoupage stuff. And it's what she likes to do, so she's got that. We went to a store this week with our family, and 
Taylor is getting into painting and drawing and all this kind of stuff. And she got an art kit for Christmas, and it's really cool. So we went down this this aisle, and really, both sides of this aisle in Hobby Lobby, nothing but paintbrushes in this whole aisle. She's like, what's this one for? I said, I don't know. She said, it looks like a makeup brush. It does. But it's not a makeup brush. It's a, it's, it's a specific, specialized brush that someone that knew what they were doing would know what to do with it. But whatever it is that you like to do, you like to have that thing, and you, and you like to have it there. Is anybody into computers? Anybody? One? Do you have computer stuff laying around? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably do. My dad's in the cars. I'm in the cars. He called me today and said he test drove this car. That um, if you don't know what it is, it's a Hellcat Charger, and he test drove one today, and he's like, it's everything they said it is. And he was just elated, and we had a special phone conversation about him test driving a car, because it's 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 his hot button. It's what he likes to do. Whatever we like to do, we like to do it a lot. And if we're really passionate about something, we're going to pursue it. And if we pursue something, it alters what we do, and it it even alters who we are. And unfortunately, we're not trained by our culture to be very content. I've used TVs as a perfect example. You buy the HD and the UHD comes out. And now there's an SHD and it just goes up and up and up and up. And you can buy a nice TV for 500 bucks, but if you want the really super duper model, we price a TV to replace this screen right here. And to get one the same size is about... That exact same size is about $7,000. That's a lot of TV, right? My point is whatever you're passionate about and whatever your hobby is and whatever you're, you're looking for and whatever you're going to do is going to consume you and you will go to great lengths and our culture feeds into that. Solomon said the eyes of man are what? They're never full. It means we're never satisfied. Because there's always something else for us to have. There's always somewhere else for us to go. There's always a cooler pair of shoes. There's always a better looking outfit. Somebody's going to come up with something. I was listening to music the other day in the car. And I, I said, Tawana, it's amazing to me how many centuries of music there have been. And you can, st- if somebody's a real musician, I'm sounding old now. I was about to say, not some of the stuff our kids listen to. My dad said the exact same thing because it wasn't Elvis. But if someone's a real musician, they can do a whole album or seven or eight albums. Somebody like Sting or the Police that have all these albums and they, they produce all these different sounds. Because it's what they're pursuing and what they're passionate about. And it's even dictated who they are. But our culture says we need to have more. Our culture says that it really believes in an accumulation of things. So what are you looking for in your life? What, what are your motivations and what drives you? In 1976, the typical supermarket in America stocked 9,000 items. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 9,000 items in a grocery store in 1976. I remember this little store we used to go to. I'm not sure it had 9,000 items in it because it was smaller than this room. Today, a supermarket, I say supermarket, hello, they're big, giant, all those people, not, not Walmart. That's a different story. That's a whole different category. Typical supermarket today carries 30,000 items. 
So yeah, it's 40 years separating the two, but to go from 9,000 items to go to 30,000 items, why? It's because we have this compulsion to possess more and more and to experience more and more. And whatever we're looking for is what we're going to find, but whatever we're looking for is going to consume us. Right? Because we think things bring satisfaction to our lives. The Old Testament sums it up in a word. It's, it's called covet. And covet is an unquenchable desire for more. And coveting is a sin. There's only one time in the Bible where it says it's okay to covet. Only one entry in the Bible says it's okay to covet. And it says covet the, the best spiritual gifts. NIV says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's the only time in the Bible where it says it's okay to covet. It's the one time in history you can covet is when you're coveting the things of God. When you have an unquenchable desire for more of the things of God. But, but sadly, what we covet typically aren't things of God. Galatians 5.20 calls it selfish ambition. And, and it, what it means there is to grasp for more and more, to try to have more. And a drive for more and more and more brings about a lack of contentment because when you're sitting there watching your 1080p, you're looking for that 4K. One of our Facebook friends is looking for a car, a first car for her daughter, and she said her daughter got up and left one car because it didn't have heated seats and a leather-wrapped steering wheel. I'm sure some of us can relate. Once you have those things or experience those things in mom and dad's car, then you want one of those in your car too, right? It's this unquenchable desire for more. If your stereo in your car has... 400 watts, you want 800. If it has a 10-inch subwoofer, you want a 12 or a, a 15. Why? Because you want more bump. You pull up, who's pulled up beside somebody's car and, it's, and the, it's the car is literally shaking where you can hear parts rattling in the car. I saw somebody look at their teenager. <laughs> we have this desire because there's always going to be a newer model. There's always going to be something better. And there's going to be something else that we want. And it flies in the face of what, what the Word of God tells us. In First Timothy, Scripture says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we're going to take nothing out of it. But we have food and clothing, and we'll be content with that. That doesn't give us a license not to, be, not, not to want things or want to pursue things or, or to better ourselves or to be ambitious, because I believe we should be, because I, I, I honestly believe we should be successful. Because we're a billboard for Jesus Christ. We should be successful. So we can't be slothful in our dealings and our doings. We have to pursue things and go forward. But, but we can't be so obsessed with finding the next thing that would let that drive us. So why would God be concerned with our drive to accumulate stuff or our drive to want more? One obvious reason is that it dictates... And sometimes damages our priorities. Who believes you have a good grasp on your priorities in your life right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think. Are your priorities where, where they need to be? What you're pursuing and what you're looking for dictates what your priorities are. If, you're, all, if all you're concerned about is making money, that's going to be your priority. And that will come between you and your relationship with Jesus. If all you're concerned about is making someone happy... And being accepted by someone else, that will eventually come between you and your relationship with Jesus. When we, when we pursue something 
passionately and above our relationship with God, it gets our priorities sidetracked and out of balance. And when that happens, we can fall into traps and, and get on the wrong track. And we, we maybe even can run after the wrong things and stop pursuing our relationship with Jesus. And what we're pursuing becomes more important than our relationship with God and our priorities get rearranged. James 4, I'm going to read the scripture in the NIV and the message. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And the message is really cool. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. That's the extreme version of wanting something bad enough to pursue it above your relationship with Jesus. That's, that's being driven to the point where you will do anything you have to do to get it. I said a few minutes ago, when we dig deep, we're really shallow, right? It doesn't take us long to figure out that we're really driven a lot of the time by selfish ambition, and we need to get that under wraps. We want what we want, and we'll do what we have to do to get it. What are you looking for? Looking for God and our relationship with him, that's, that's where we all are, right? If you weren't looking for Jesus, if you weren't on a quest to have a relationship with him, you would not be here tonight. You wouldn't come out on Wednesday night after being at work, after having Monday, Tuesday. Well, you're off Monday. After having Tuesday, Wednesday at work, and, and it still feels like hump day a little bit. And you wouldn't be here if you weren't trying to better yourself and your, your relationship with God. And we're all on this quest. God, God didn't create Adam and Eve to have somebody to watch. He didn't create Adam and Eve to have somebody to, to kick around or to have someone to amuse him. That's not why he created Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve to have companionship, to have a relationship, to have somebody to talk to. That's why Adam and Eve were created, and that's why we are here, to have a relationship with God and to spread his gospel throughout the world. God desires to have a relationship with every single one of us, and his ultimate plan is for us to be where? With him. That's his whole plan. When Jesus left it and he said, I'm going to prepare a place that where I am, you will be there also. Isn't that what he said? That's what he said. So his plan is for us to be together and that's awesome. But it's also pretty simple. It's about us being together. It's about us having a relationship. But we tend to complicate things because God draws us to him for one reason. And that's relationship. Jesus came so that we could have life and have it how? More abundantly. And now he says to the fool, he wants us to have a better life and he wants to give it to us. And he draws us to him for that purpose to have a relationship with him. We come to God for different reasons. So think for a second. Why do you reach for God? The easy answer to that is to be saved. Right? That's the easy answer. That's like when I was a youth pastor, I would say, ask a question. I would say, you can't say read your Bible. You can't say pray. Those answers are off the table. Think deeper than that. So think deeper than I want to be saved. Why are, why are you doing what you're doing right now? God, people come to God for different reasons. Some still coming for acceptance. Some out of guilt for things that, they, that they've done. Some come for absolution of their sin. Some are looking, honestly, for what's in it for them. 
What's in this for me? And some come just because it's tradition. Who do you know that's been, that, that somebody's family's been going to the same church for one, two, three, four, five, six generations? Some people do. They just go simply because it's a tradition. Why do you come to church? What are you looking for? Are you looking for community? Do you come because of guilt that you have? Is it because of tradition? Or are you seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ? Why are you here tonight? What are you looking for? I've heard it said that whatever you're looking for is what you're going to find. Whatever you're looking for is what you're going to If you're looking for good in a situation, you're going to find good. If you're looking for the negative in a situation, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find negative. And if you're looking, let's take our church for example. I don't want to go outside of this. If you're looking for good about what's going on here, you'll find a lot of good. We got some people that are passionate. We got some people that want to see awesome things happen and they're passionate about what's going on at Life Center and, and there's, there's, some, there's something good going on here. But if you're looking for negative, I promise you're going to find a lot of that too. Why? Because I'm, I'm a person. I'm a person just like you. And everybody who does stuff around here are people just like you. And none of us are perfect. We all sin. And we all irritate each other. And we all get sideways. So if you're looking for good, you're going to find it. You're going to love your church. If you're looking for bad, you're going to find that. You're going to hate your church. So what are you looking for? Are you glass half full? Or are you glass half empty? Are you an optimist or a realist? Because you'll never admit to be a pessimist. So we'll just settle and call you a realist, right? So whatever you look for, that really is what you're going to find. So if you want to find good and you want to, to, to get your mind wrapped around being part of the kingdom of God, you can do that. Why are you here and what are you looking for? I want to give you some advice. When we align our vision and our plan with that of God's, good things happen. Good things happen. I was talking to someone today and they're like, this, this, and this. I said, you're exactly right. And they're said, they said, I'm not doing this, this, and this. I said, no, you're not. And that's where you're going wrong. You need to do this, this, and this, and everything will line up like it's supposed to. It, that, was, it's, that was pretty simple. They said, I'm not going to church. I'm not praying. I'm not doing this. I'm like, no, you're not doing it. I don't know about praying, but I know you're not going to church. And that's, that's part of the, the solution to where you are right now. So when we align our vision with God's, good things happen. Remember the thieves that were crucified with Jesus? If you don't know, Jesus was crucified between two, two, uh, two thieves, two criminals. And when they were crucified, one, one spoke out and said, If you're really Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, call your angels and save yourself and us. If that, like, prove it. If that's who you really are, call your angels down here, save yourself and us. Right? So he was really in, about, he was in it for himself. That was his motive. That was his posture. But the other one said, I'm paraphrasing, you idiot. He's like, don't you realize who this is? He hasn't done anything wrong. And he said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, I promise you, today, you, talking to the second guy, will be with me in paradise. When, when we align ourselves with the reality of who God is, and what he can do in our lives, 
good things happen. When we come at God with a side motive, when we come at God with something else or, or just to get out of it what's ours or we get sideways because things aren't like we like them, then we're, our motives are a little bit jacked up and that's when we, we run afoul or run perpendicular to what God's plan and God's will is for us and that's when things start to go sideways. The first guy had a selfish motive. He was all about himself. What can you do for me, Jesus, and what am I getting out of this? The second guy said, it's not like that. This is who this is. And it got him salvation. When we unselfishly align our goals with God's, good things happen around us and good things happen for us. And that's just a fact. So what are you looking for? Is it all about you? Is it all about your life? Do you, I'm not gonna, don't raise your hands. Who's ever been guilty of praying a wish list? Right? You know what I'm talking about. God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and this has got to work out, and you've got to fix this. This person's being stupid, and I'm, you know, this person, we're praying stuff for God to do the whole time. Sometimes I find myself, confession time for me, on Sunday morning when we're having prayer from 9 to 9.30, and we have the, the, the section of prayer time where it's just simply about praise. Thanking God for what he's done, thanking God for what he's going to do and for who he is, and just, just praising God. Has anybody caught themselves asking God for something? And I mentally slap myself. I literally physically stop praying, and I get mad at myself for a minute. Can't you even pray for like four minutes? What is it, four-minute segment? Something like that. Something short. And I get so irritated at myself because it's a four-minute session where we're supposed to praise God together, and I'm asking it for something. I'm like, you dummy. What is wrong with you? Can't you take four minutes out of a prayer session? I've already spent the first 26 minutes asking for stuff. Literally, I spent the first 26 minutes asking God for stuff. And we take the last four minutes, and I can't go four minutes without asking God for something. That just shows how you don't have to put yourself out there. I just put myself out there for all y'all. That just shows how selfish we can be, and, and we don't even mean to. It's just so ingrained in who we are that when we go to God, we think we've got to ask for something. Think back to what you thought a minute ago when I said... If Jesus were standing here today and said, what, can, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you today? What would you ask him for? Different people would ask different things. Do you pray a wish list? Listen to this. Luke 10, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus said, ask God for this. Ask God for more people to be dedicated to the cause of Christ. Ask people, ask God for people, more people with willing hearts and able minds and bodies to want to do something for the kingdom of God. So what are you looking for? And this will dictate how you pray. I told you we're getting to prayer and fasting. What you're looking for will dictate how you pray. What you're looking for will dictate how you pray. So are you just looking for a cool church experience? Are you looking for what you can get out of church? Or do you even think that deep? Do you just go because you know you're supposed to? Are you looking to see how you can make a difference? What did Acts 1.8 says? You'll be witnesses after the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses everywhere. <coughs> we'll be witnesses. We tend to focus so much on what we want and need that we fail to think about what God needs from us. 
Who's had that thought recently? God, what do you need from me? How, God, how can I help you? How can I further your kingdom? The fields of harvest remain white, but the workers are still few. What, and this is a very invasive question, what are you doing? What are you doing in the kingdom of God? What does scripture say? Not just to be a hearer of the word. Don't just hear the word, but be a doer of the word. What are you doing in the kingdom of God? And here's one that really kicked me in the gut. How is God's kingdom better because you're in it? Ouch. And I can't pray four minutes without asking him for something. How am I enhancing the kingdom of God? How am I in this, in this temple being built up before the Lord? How, how am I blessing or how am I enhancing the kingdom of God? And how is it better because I'm here? It all boils down to what I'm looking for. I gave you some advice a few minutes ago and I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Another promise that we simply can't go wrong with, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I have a friend that says favor chases him down. And the first time he said it, I'm like, what is wrong with you? He said, favor chases me down. It chases my family down. He said, good things happen to us just because of, of the history we have in putting God first in our life. And I thought he was just bragging for a minute. I was mad at him. But the more I think about it, the more I look, the more I see, I believe it. Because if you seek first the kingdom of God, what we need will be added to us. And there are principles in the Bible that God can't go against. If my people who are called by my name will humble those nails and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I will heal their land. That's a promise. If we seek first the kingdom of God, everything we need will be added to us. It's a principle. Give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing shall men give to your bosoms. Those are all scriptures. So they're promises we can't go wrong with, but we, we, if, do you want to create a godly legacy for your family? I don't think any of us, if, if we are asked the question, would admit to wanting a family that's, that's broken and shattered and messed up and, and full of mess. If I were to ask every parent in the room, you would say, yes, I want to create a godly legacy for my family. Then start in Matthew 6.33 and model it for your kids. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let them see the things that are added to them and they will repeat the process in their own life and repeat the process with their children and then you have generations of legacy happening right there because you decided, I'm going to live Matthew 6.33. I'm going to seek God first. That's what I'm going to be looking for because if I look there, if if, if what I'm looking for is in the word of God, if, if what I'm looking for is in a relationship with him and aligning my life with what he desires me to be, and I'm being something amazing in the kingdom of God, I'm seeking him first, then everything else, it will be like I need it to be. And maybe in a four-minute segment where you're supposed to be praising God, you won't have to ask him for something. You won't feel the compulsion to ask for something in a four-minute segment where you're supposed to be praising God. 
Seek him first in every major decision in your life. Seek him. You're going to date somebody? Seek him. Get engaged? Absolutely seek him. Get married? You had better seek him. What are you going to be? What are you going to school for? What's your career going to be? Which job are you going to take? Which house are you going to buy? Do we always think about asking God about those things? No, we don't. We just go through life and we live it and we do those things. But if we seek God first in every major decision and most minor ones, don't ask him if you, if you, if you should eat at three or four. That's ridiculous. Eat when you're hungry. He doesn't care if you wear blue or black. But if it, if it matters to you, ask him about it. God, should I get this credit card? Should I buy this car? Should we live here or here? It matters. Should I work here or here? It definitely matters. Should I be in this relationship? It absolutely matters. Should I marry this person? You had better find God's will on that one. Seek him first. And this is another area where we typically get a little bit sideways. Instead of asking God for his plan, we tend to ask him to bless ours. (laughs) Don't we? We get a plan. Man, I got a plan. It's a good one. I'm going to do this and this. My son is king of plans. Tonight before we go to bed, he'll come and say, here's what's happening tomorrow. I'm doing this, 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 and this. Almost every night. I hear what he's going to do the next day because he's got a plan. And it's working. He's a great kid. But he's always got a plan. And we always have a plan. And we, and we say, I'm going to do this. At this age, I'm doing this and this. We have just everything planned out. And sometimes we fail to see God in the planning stages and we don't get his input on the plan. We get our plan and ask him to bless it. Or a worse scenario than that is we get our plan, we enact it, and we get in a mess and we ask him to bail us out. We've all done that. We've all done that. You can nod your head, yeah, because it's okay. We've all done that. We get in a, a situation where we haven't consulted God about one thing of what we've done. And we get in a mess. Oh, God, help me. Who's ever prayed the prayer, God, if you help me this time, I will never. <laughs> I got a hand on that one. <laughs> God, I'll never do this again. Just help me get out of this. God, please, I need you right now. Save me, Jesus. We all have. And all that stems from is not knowing or ignoring Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because ours is as... Filthy rags. Seek him first and his righteousness and what we need will be added to us. I believe that God's plans for me are better than what I can imagine. Because scripture calls him the God of exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. I've told you many times I have a very active imagination. I can ask for a lot. I'm needy. And I've got, I, I dream big in 4K. I do. And I've got lots of dreams and ambitions and, and, and what, where I want us to go. But sometimes I have to just stop and think, God, your plans are better than mine. They're bigger than mine because you're the God of exceeding abundantly above what I, whatever I ask or think or dream. You're, the, you're a God that's bigger than that. So if you walk away with nothing more than this tonight, I want you to walk away with Matthew 6.33. 
And whatever you're looking for and whatever your ambition is and whatever your hopes and dreams are, I want you to enact Matthew 6.33 in your life. What's the scripture? (laughs) Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have a great opportunity in the next few weeks. I told you I'll go in depth on Sunday about why and how. But we have a great opportunity in the next few weeks. This is a new year. It can be a new you. I talk to somebody today. He's like, dude, I got to drop 20. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He said, I got to drop 20. He said, I'm eating all meat. I said, good for you. That's fun. That's not, a, that's not really a bad thing, right? Just eat meat for 21 days or two weeks or a month. That's all right. New year, new you. Fresh start. And on Sunday, we're going to start 21 days of praying and fasting. That doesn't mean you're going to pray 24 hours a day. Somebody asked me today, we can't eat for three weeks? I said, if we don't eat for three weeks, we're all dead and seeing Jesus anyway. Right? It's not about that. We'll go into that. But we're, we have three weeks, and, and this could be a major reset button for you. This could be a major reset button for me, and this could be a major reset button for our, our church community because I see people with drive and desire and want to. I see people with passion, and I, 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 see, I get excited about what can come out of the other side of these 21 days because if we are aligning our purpose with him and praying in that direction, after three weeks of doing that, we could, we could come out with, with different perspective and different goals and different plans than what we have right now. And we could have a completely different relationship with Jesus than what we have right now. Do you believe that? If you've got the reference points where you've been through this before, you know what can happen and you know what can come out of this. If you don't have those reference points, get, be excited because you're going to be closer to God when you come out of these 21 days. And let me set some, I'll, I'll go into it more on Sunday again, but let me, let me set some expectations. Who's sinned before in here? Who sinned this week? At least we're honest, right? You probably won't perfectly execute 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm just going to put that out there. Chances are, in those 21 days, you're going to do something that's not in the plan. You're going to say something that's not in the plan. You're going to skip a prayer time. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I messed up. Now I just, I'm just going to quit. No. What did Pastor Andrew, was it Pastor Andrew on Sunday said something about a righteous man? Falls down seven times, but what? He gets back up eight. Falls down a hundred times, but gets up a hundred and one. That whenever we fall down and make a mistake, we always get back up. We never, we never lay there and wallow in it. We never give up. We get back up and we keep going in the direction that we're going in. I believe great things are coming for you. I believe your best days are ahead of you. I said that last week. I believe your best days are ahead of you. Do you believe that? You better, otherwise you're hopeless. You need hope. You need to know that God has plans for you and God has things he wants to do in your life. But we have to start with what are you looking for? What are you hoping to to get? What are you in this for? Where are your motives and what are you aligned with? Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want? And, And a miracle followed. What are you asking God for? 